Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to the 4 Press Podcast, presented by GolfWeek.com. I'm your host, David Dusak, and this week, coming to us live from TPC Sawgrass in Ponte Vedra Beach, Florida, is Adam Shupak. In the podcast you're about to hear, Adam and I talk about the Players' Championship and how it compares to other elite events. We also talk about the fantastic and somewhat frustrating season that Rory McIlroy, the world's number one player and the defending champion at the Players' Championship, is enjoying so far in 2020. Then we talked about Brooks Kepka, Justin Rose, Dustin Johnson, and finally reveal our picks for the Players' Championship this week. Get stronger, hit longer, and end pain with Golf Forever. Created by Justin Leonard and co-author of the Younger Next Year Backbook, Dr. Jeremy James, Golf Forever is the take-anywhere online golf fitness program that helps you build a body prime for golf. It's simple, safe, and it works. At home, in the gym, on the golf course, Golf Forever's easy-to-follow exercises, warm-up routines, and course management videos will help you play your best pain-free. Sign up today at GolfForever.com and use promo code GOLFWEEK for a free 14-day trial. So joining me now once again on the 4Press Podcast is Adam Shupak, who is down in Ponte Vedra Beach, Florida. A home game for you, Shup. You're out there today once again at TPC Sawgrass. What's going on? What's what's happening so far with the players? Yeah, this is my my home my home game. Like you said, L- love uh, always. You know, this has always kind of been my fifth major in a sense, and that uh, you know, lived lived here for a long time. Uh, used to enjoy coming back here. Now I live here again, so it's great to great to get out. I think it's one of the best events to attend. I think it, they really do a great job. Um, it's it's such a spectator friendly course, and and uh, a lot of good stuff going on. There's a there's a concert tonight. Uh, ch- the Chain Smokers, so. Uh, it's gonna be a great, gonna be a great week. Even though uh, a little disappointed that no Tiger Woods in the field, uh, I think that definitely dampens some of the enthusiasm for, mm-hmm. you know, calling this a fifth major. But um, he, he certainly doesn't skip, uh, try to skip uh, any of the the four majors. But uh, yeah, I think it's it's still setting up to be a, a great week. We got Rory back to defend and, and playing some really good golf. And and uh, the thing I, I love about TPC Sawgrass is it it it's a real equalizer in that it doesn't really favor any sort of game we've seen. Right. We've seen long bombers like Rory win. We've seen, you know, the short knockers like Fred Funk win and, yeah. and, uh, and everything kind of in between. So it's a, it's a really, uh, you know, it's a tough, tough Pete die design course that, uh, will expose any weakness in your game. And, and we're going to find out who's, uh, who's the be- one of the best players in the world this week, I think. Well, certainly 10-year-old Lindsey Dusick will be happy to hear the chain smokers are out there. That's that's right <laughs> up her alley. I don't know if I would be stoked about that one. But it is. It's a great <laughs> event for as far as fans and venues go. It's, it's the prototype for stadium golf. I mean, TPC Sawgrass, the stadium course, 
is is named for the reason. If you're going there, the mounding, the hilling, the routing, everything lends itself to spectators and viewers being able to really get close to the action, get good angles to see shots. It's as you mentioned, the the classic, you know, Pete Dye visually intimidating golf course. Um, there's some other really really elite tournaments that are held around the world. I that, I get the whole fifth major. I'm over it. The whole idea of it. But is it the best golf tournament in the world that's not a major championship, in your opinion? I mean, I look at like Wentworth, um, some of the other events that that every once in a while just draw a field. But I just got to believe year in and year out, this is this is probably the best. What do you think? I do. I think uh, I love that it goes back to the same venue every year and we know it and we, yeah. you know, we, we wait for someone to crash and burn at 17 and, um, you know, it's you know we will you know there's there can be some magic at at you know a whole like 16 going for it in two and making a great eagle and um I, you know it's just something about that coming back every year i think that that uh the pj tour was really made up made a sharp decision coming up doing that rather than moving it around the country which mm-hmm. was the original concept or early on first few editions were were mo- moved around to different different courses and i i think just you know, everybody knows it. The 17th is probably one of the, the most iconic. infamous holes in golf. It is iconic and, and probably the most photographed um, right up there. Maybe, I don't know, seven at Pebble Beach. and. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. it's, a, it's such a unique design. And nowadays with technology to see that camera that they put on um, the the rope, basically, that, that's going across to the tree that's that's out there on that little island, you get so many different views you know, we get the shot from behind on NBC of the players teeing off and, you know, obviously hitting to the island, which looks like a sliver of land when you're standing on the tee box. You can't really see very much of the putting surface. But then I love the overhead views, you know, in the back of the day when they would float the blimp over there. But when they've got that camera that, that's on that pulley system and you can see that or when you see the, the shot tracers from behind the green. So you're, the ball is coming towards you and you see the parabola sort of floating through there. It's such a unique thing. And to hang out there for a morning or an afternoon, cocktail in hand, sitting on the hillside, just watching one guy after another nearly wet himself as he nearly rinses, <laughs> is is one of the great ways to spend an afternoon in golf. I mean, it's it's it just visually sets up so well. And I like, personally, I like the move back to March uh, from everything from temperature to the winds and uh, that are, I think, will play more havoc this time of year. And, uh, and, and also the, the, you know, they do the overseed and I, I just think it plays it potentially, you know, a little more fast and firm than, uh, than it did, w- than it used to, or what, when it was in March. Uh, so I like it, I like it better in March and, and as kind of that first big event of the year, um, as we get ready for, uh, Augusta in, in, in a few weeks. So I've been fortunate enough to play Augusta national, and I can tell you that, when you play, the, the, everybody plays from the member tees, which aren't even in the same zip code as the master's tees. Um, it is, from tee to green, a much more playable golf course than a lot of people might think. You've got loads of room off the tee. Your driving numbers are going to look great. Now, your putting numbers are a whole different story. When you go to TPC Sawgrass, it's a home game for you. You've played this golf course a bunch of times. We're going to see how the best players in the world play on this golf course um, when it's pushed and it's going to be as challenging as they can make it. Day in and day out, how playable is it? If you're somebody who's going down on vacation, you're going to stay over at that nice big Marriott right on property. You're going to make you know a little buddy trip out of it. How hard is it for the average Joe 
to go out there and actually play TPC Sawgrass? Yeah, it's pretty much an eleven on a scale of ten. It's 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 one of the toughest tests you're gonna you're gonna find anywhere. I think mm-hmm. um, it's just it's just uh, it's just gonna beat you up at some point. You're not sure when, but it's gonna happen. It's gonna punch you in the teeth, and and you're gonna have to take it. Um, I just find it to be one of the one of the toughest courses I've ever played, and I think that's probably why I don't play it as much anymore. It's just I'm not sure. I I, I like to do it a few every once in a while, but. Uh, you know, I'm not as much into getting getting beat up like I used to. I, I, I you know, lived in Ponte Vedra uh, in my my 20s, and I would say my weekends pretty much were spent at, at TPC Sawgrass, if not the stadium. There's a second course, the Valley, that is, uh, you know, not every bit as good, but almost a very very solid golf course. A little more playable, but not not that much more that not that much easier. And also a Pete Dye design that he did with Bobby Weed and and Jerry Pate. And, uh, you know, I'm, you asked me before, have I played it much? And I'm, I am staring at my trophy for the 1999 TPC Sawgrass Club Championship. It's kind of a funny story, but wow. I did win. I won the A flight, though, but they gave me the championship trophy by accident. And then, and then I took so long returning it that they said that, that they had already just go got ahead and a keep new the one. Damn thing you yeah, will. they said nice. just keep it. Nice. Just, just keep it. So, you know, I, I don't usually tell that version to too many people but you know i gotta be honest with our listeners out there i'm just the a flight champ well the a flight champ last year was roy mcelroy he was the winner <laughs> at the tpc sawgrass at uh, at the players championship he was brilliant and he's been pretty brilliant so far this season i mean here here we are we're recording this podcast on tuesday march 10 he's already won 3.8 million dollars he won the wgc hsbc champions before the turning of the calendar he has been basically living in the top five. It's been pretty unbelievable at this point. Um, he has got seven straight top five finishes, again, including last week at Bay Hill. From your perspective, um, are you which is which is sort of on your mind more? The fact that Roy McElroy is is showing that his floor has risen so high that when even when he's not bringing his A game, he's still now a top five, top ten every single week. Or are you more concerned that he's not winning as much, that he's getting all these top fives? And that's great, and it's fattening up his wallet, but he's not closing the deal. I, I went into certainly last Sunday, no offense to Terrell Hatton, um, Mark Leishman, etc. I, I thought that was going to be Roy's tournament, and it just never was. He's had some problems on Sunday. Which is more in the forefront of your mind, Shoot? Yeah, I'm concerned that he's not winning a, win, winning these tournaments. Uh, I, I think he... I, I, I think he's kind of getting over his case of the Thursdays, which I think is a good thing. He, he was leading at WGC Mexico, and then last week uh, a pretty easy 66 at, at Bay Hill to, to jump to the top, you know, very close to the top of the leaderboard after the first round. Um, because I feel like he's he's put himself at at majors too far, too having to come from too far back and chase guys down. And uh, I, I want to see him do that in the majors. So I think it's a good sign that he's playing better on Thursday. But come Sunday, man, he's got to play better than he did this past week. I really thought uh, he was going to get, like you said, going into Sunday. I thought this could be this. This feels like this is going to be Rory's tournament. He's he's just hanging around. He was it was Arnold Palmer's tournament, but it felt like he was playing Jack Nicholas style golf, just kind of taking advantage of the par five opportunities and and biding his time, letting other people make mistakes. And and uh, you know, I thought he I thought he was playing some really smart golf and. 
you know, he made a beautiful birdie at the par five, uh, the fourth hole at Bay Hill on Sunday, hit a, a you know, really nice five iron from the left fairway bunker from about, you know, 235, 240 and, uh, you know, easy two putt birdie. And he's got a share of the lead with Hatton very early in the tournament, having started two back and then just started making mistakes, a, a pretty ugly bogey at, at a, the short hole, the fifth, which mm-hmm. was, was, uh, you know, he, he shouldn't do that there. And then the double at six, I mean, that, that's a par five that, that he that's needs to take advantage of. And, and, and it was kind of ugly the way he did it pitch, um, kind of thinning, a, well, he, a, a he, pitch, a, a bunker shot that went into the hazard and then, and then, you know, compounding the error by, by chipping about five feet past after he dropped and, and missing that putt, um, you know, and then, and then hits it out of bounds on, on nine. So his driver, which is his, his strength really let him down on Sunday. I've seen, I feel like I've seen that. That's like a recurring theme with, with uh, Rory some of these times I, I look back to the tour championship when he lost it, when he, when he couldn't chase down tiger in 2018 and uh, that first drive at Augusta, when he was battling Patrick Reed going way right. I mean, the driver is his weapon. And yep. sometimes I feel like on Sunday it, it really hasn't been all that much. And uh, I think that's something he, that it might be starting to get in his head and something he needs to be working on. Well, he's certainly going to get reminded by it, you know, by, by people like us about it. And it's interesting. It's still, it's weird because we're we're halfway through technically the PGA Tour season. I mean, we're at the the PGA Tour's crown jewel event this week. Rory McIlroy has played six PGA Tour events so far in this season. He's number one in scoring average in the opening round. He's number three in the third round. He's number seventy nine in scoring average in the fourth round. Um, you know, so there, there's clearly an issue numbers wise. Now, maybe sometimes. The, the golf courses are set up a little bit more challenging in the final round, but but Rory is Rory. Uh, as you mentioned, there, there's not a shot in the book that, that he can't hit. He's won certainly enough times. It's not like he should be nervous about breaking through like a PGA Tour rookie. He's certainly not that. He's the number one player in the world. There's, there's no question that there's something going on that he needs to sort of work through as far as the Sundays go. And I'll tell you, re- regardless of what happens this week at TPC Sawgrass, if he is in the lead or a shot off the lead at the Masters going into Sunday, shoot, tell me what you think is going to happen. I mean, do, w- would you be more surprised if he won or more surprised, you know, to see him have something happen and he ends up shooting 76 or 77 at, at the Masters on Sunday? Yeah, I guess it'll come down to how he's how he's playing the, those first three rounds. But, yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, – I think he's rounding into good shape for, for that masters and to finally, you know, get that iconic win and, and, and have, have the, the grand slam completed. Um, so I'm, I'm not, I'm not overly worried about, about well, him. This is, this is the, the definition major. of picking nits. I mean, we're, we're talking yeah. about a guy who right now is playing probably at the highest level of anybody in the world. And, and we're here, we are, you know, up here on Mount Pius looking down, telling Rory what his problems are. His problems are some pretty first-world golf-related kind of problems. <laughs> One of the players that I'm a little bit more concerned about is Brooks Kepka. Um, he has not looked good in, in 2020. You know, a, a year ago, coming up less than a year ago, he looked unbeatable. I mean, when we left, um, you know, c- coming out of Beth Page, we, we were, you know, he's back up. He's number one in the world. He, he wins back-to-back U.S. Opens, back-to-back. PGA championships. And we think that we're basically on 
the beginning of domination, that this is a guy whose mental and physical strength, the way that he approaches the game, sets up so well for modern championship golf. He does everything right. He is top four, I believe it was, in each one, if I remember off the top of my head, in, in all the majors last year. He was amazing. And the knee injury has really been a problem. Obviously, he doesn't play President's Cup okay, but we still have not seen him put four good rounds together. Um, I get that the weather conditions in the golf course were, were challenging at Bay Hill, but how concerned are you right now that we're starting the championship run? I mean, this basically with this week at the players, about every four weeks now, we've got something really meaningful. I and mean, we've talked about Augusta. The PGA Championship is scheduled right now, Harding Park in early May, San Francisco. Then we go right into the U.S. Open, the British Open, the Olympics, which Kepka would certainly, I would imagine, be, be thinking about or something that he would potentially be qualifying for. FedEx Cup, Ryder Cup, it's not going to stop now. And we haven't seen anything really good from Brooks Kepka this year. How concerned are you about that? I'm concerned. I think, uh, I mean, forget four good rounds in a row. I've hardly seen one good round in a row. He's... He's not the golfer that we uh, that we watched the last you know year and a half. Although, you know, we've seen him kind of uh, lose interest in some of the you know regular tour yeah. events. And you know, he says he's he's really into it, and he says he feels like he's hitting the ball well. But just when the when the gun goes off, it's it's he's not able to put it together. His putting has been uh, pretty dreadful. I think that I, I don't know whether the knee injury. You know, Tiger always talked about when when his knee was bothering him, he could couldn't putt as much, couldn't work on that part of his game. I don't know if that has something to do with the trouble that Kepka's had with the short stick, but, um, you know, that's, I don't think that's, you know, the best part of his game, but it, it's, it's really letting him down right now. And, um, I, I'll be interested to see how he plays this week because you can't fake it around TPC Sawgrass. He, you know, he shot his worst score of his career last week, uh, an 81 on Saturday. Um, but, you know, I give him credit, you know, he stood up there and talked afterwards. He, he took some photos with uh, K.H. Lee, who you know asked him for a photo after he shoots his worst round. I thought that was pretty it's ballsy pretty, of K.H. Pretty, Lee. Pretty gutsy call to go up to a guy who basically <laughs> yeah. is a middle line. Look, looks a lot more like Brian Erlacher than, than a golfer. And Oh, yeah, can I have a little photo? Can we do a selfie? Are you kidding me? <laughs> Holy smokes. By the way, um, you, you, you pegged it as far as Kepka and the putting goes. Um, this season, he ranks 200th on the PGA Tour in strokes game putting, a negative... 714 for Kepka. That's after last year being 48th. Um, he's basically had a one stroke swing to the downside from putting. And this year, his, his numbers, I, I can understand with the knee problem that the full swing gets affected. He's 83rd strokes gained off the tee and 128th strokes gained approach the green. Um, that will not get Capone, as my buddy Seth Davis would like <laughs> to say. That is not how you get Capone. And yeah, I, I would think that as you touched upon, he's not able to practice or has not put in the practice so far this season to this point that he would have last year. And that's a real problem. Um, you know, I, I don't I don't know what I don't know what the answer is, especially now, shoot, because all, everybody at the at the end of last season was saying that they were burning out. The, the schedule was almost too unrelenting. If you were going to give him some advice, do you tell him if you're not 100 percent? just shut it down for a little bit and get there? Or is this something that modern players, do you think, are just going to have to learn to play through to some degree because the way everything is set up? Well, he's 
I, I don't know. He's not going to listen to me anyway, so I'm just going to tell wow. you what he's doing. Yeah. And what he's doing is his th- theory is I'm going to play through it. I need, I need, he's going mm-hmm. with the, I, I just need some reps. And so, you know, he missed the cut at Honda. He added the Arnold Palmer last week. Cause he's like, I just need to play golf. I mm-hmm. haven't, I haven't played enough. And he's, he's kind of taking that approach. And, and, uh, so he's playing this week. He's playing Valspar. He's playing match play. So he's going to come get to Augusta, uh, try, trying to figure it out between the ropes. Cause he, what he keeps saying is I'm hitting it fine when I'm practicing, when I'm home, when I'm playing with my buddies mm-hmm. and I just need to, to get into game shape. And so, you know, I, I kind of like that approach that I like that he added Arnold Palmer last week. And while it probably wasn't, uh, four rounds, he's going to want to remember. Yeah. I, I think it could be helpful in the long run that he, that he went out there and, and pegged it up. Um, yeah, I, it, you know, the one thing is, if anybody has been able to flip the switch at the big events, I mean, he, he goes into sure. a different mode for sure. He, he's, he's shown an ability to just, uh, you know, as better than just about anyone to, to, to have his game show up at the, at the four big events. And, you know, what his record last year was, was remarkable. Yep. And, uh, so it would not, I mean, I don't think it's going to be that easy to repeat what he did last year. No. But if anybody can do it, it might be him. It was a historically significant season. I mean, it was a, it was a monster year, and I realized that Rory won the Player of the Year. But but Brooks Kepka dominated the major championships, and for the elite players, and he is certainly that. That's what it's all about. You know, they pegged their season around those four tournaments, and he was magnificent w- without question. My concern, and I'd be hypocritical based on some things that I've said, for example, about Tiger. But that's the kind of thing as you were mentioning it, Shoop, that. Tiger used to say, like, I'm really close. I'm hitting it good. I'm, I'm, when, when he was trying to overcome various injuries, he would give us the line, like, for example, that, that everything looks good in practice rounds. Everything looks good when I'm playing and practicing at home or on the range. And he was simply not putting it in many cases together on the golf course. Now, he eventually worked it out. Tiger's also severely limited his schedule at this point. And I'm not in the least bit saying that Brooks's injuries right now are anything like what Tiger went through with multiple knee injuries, all the back surgeries, all the wear and tear on his body. Tiger is significantly older than Kepka, but but it echoes the same kind of thing, that I'm going to play through it. I'm going to keep grinding away at it. And a lot of times when athletes do that, injuries linger. Like they're, they're, they're running at like 75 or 80% for a long time and other things can creep in. And sometimes they're so good that they can overcome that where most players and most athletes can't. And that's what makes them special. And I think that Kepka is special. I'm, I'm genuinely hoping though that for the long run for a decade from now, he's not grinding in and putting in work now that will cost him later on. We, we don't know that there's no way for us to answer that. Um, one of the more fascinating things coming out of Bay Hill that, that I saw, and you you got a firsthand look at it as well. Another guy, former world number one who's struggling, is Justin Rose. Um, Justin Rose is making some major league equipment changes. We haven't heard officially what's going on between he and his sponsor, Hanma, at this point, but he's basically got a bag full of new gear in his kit at this point. He's missed three out of four cuts in the calendar year 2020 and was, I believe it was T56, at the one event where he did make the cut, uh, which is amazing. When you think about this is a guy who was the model of consistency. Um, his this whole game at this point is just falling apart. What's going on with Justin Rose? 
Well, you know, I, he, he had a, a, he was on such a good run and, and yeah, I don't know how much it's, how much you can credit it to changes in equipment, but we've seen this happen to guys when they, when they, uh, when they change the equipment. And, and, and I think he maybe changed too much, you know, right. He, he did, he did driver and irons at the same time. It was a, it was a 10 club um, deal that he signed January one of 19 with Hanma. It was a 10 club deal. He did not change golf ball, but, but yes, he, he put new driver in the bag, new irons in the bag, um, new wedges in the bag too. He made a lot of changes. You're right. Yeah. I guess that he didn't change golf ball. That, that helps that you can kind of identify things a little better. Um, if, when you do both at the same times, it's, it can get complicated. But you know, he won right away with the clubs. I think was it the first or second Tory week that Pines. he put them in the yeah, bag? He did. Yeah, fuck yeah, the farmers, uh, and it it looked like it wasn't going to be a thing. I don't know. I, I just he, he works so hard at the game. I, I think he'll probably figure this out. He's, uh, I you know, we've talked a little bit about this offline. How you know the timing of it? I think with the majors coming up. The, the run of tournaments with the Olympics, something that he was, yeah. he you know, technically is the defending champion. Yeah. Um, wants to get back and, and have a ch- another, another go at that. Um, and then the Ryder cup in the, in, in you know, being a Ryder cup year, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think, you know, he'll be a, he's going to have to have a pretty miserable year not to be a captain's pick, but you know, it's getting tougher and tougher to make that team. And, uh, you know, he's been a stalwart for a long time. Uh, I think he figured, you know, he needs to pull the trigger and do something to, to shake things up. And, you know, he's changed caddies and he's also, you know, it's, it's kind of the obvious thing. If it's, if, if you're going to change something else, change the clubs, he knows he's, he's had a comfort level with the tailor-made irons and the driver before working with Keith Sabaro, someone he's very comfortable with to figure things out is at the point of the, the timing of it, I think is the right time to maybe pull the trigger. If you're going to do this, He's got an opportunity with the Olympics coming up. He's defending, trying to defend that, um, and and also a Ryder Cup year, and wanting to get back into uh, that competition and being, you know, he's been a stalwart of that team. I think um, this was the right time before the year gets really busy to 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 make a, a change in equipment. Hey, ever hear about the ex football star who robbed a Brinks truck? then tucked $400,000 under his arm like a football and escaped using an inner tube? No? Then you'll want to listen to Season 1 of The Sneak, a podcast by For the Win and USA Today Sports. Here, take a quick listen to the man who actually pulled that off. In 2008, a former D1 football star pulled off a robbery so daring and so strange that it went viral worldwide. It was a perfect crime story. There was just one problem. It wasn't the real story of what happened. The Sneak is a new, serialized true crime podcast from For the Win and USA Today Sports. You can subscribe now on Apple Podcasts or get it anywhere you get podcasts on Tuesday, January 14th. I think you've 100% pegged it. I think that Justin Rose, who's 39 years of age right now, and we keep thinking of him as being this young guy. He's been a pro for a long time at this point. Um Justin Rose wins the Olympic gold medal in Rio four years ago, and there has not been anyone, obviously, who's a bigger proponent of Olympic golf than Justin Rose. I think it would be amazing for three or four years, every time you walk out on the tee box, to be introduced as the defending Olympic gold medalist. That is really, really cool. And I know a lot of people don't dream when they start playing golf 
about winning a, an Olympic gold medal. They want to win the U.S. Open. They want to win the Masters. They might want to the British, all that stuff. I, I get that. I get it. But Rose, probably more than anybody right now, wants to win the Olympic gold medal again um, because he's had a taste of it. He knows exactly what that's like. And I 100% agree that at age 39, you know, he's thinking about this as being, look, what are the chances with all these young, up-and-coming British players and other good players that he might have to go against to try and qualify for the Olympics when they come to Paris, which would be really great four years from now, um, this might be his last best chance to win another Olympic medal. In addition to what you mentioned, it's the four major championships. Um, he has won, obviously, the 2013 U.S. Open. He's got his major. He's got his FedEx Cup. But it's a Ryder Cup year. There's so many meaningful things. And at age 39, I don't think that he wants to squander a year. He doesn't want to let one more year of what should be his prime go by with golf that is way below what he should be shooting. The fact that Justin Rose, T to green right now, ranks 175th on the PGA Tour is insane. In his sleep, he should be a top 20 ball striking guy. He's always been really good. And yes, there has been a slow decline in some of those numbers, but he's elite. One of the best ball strikers of his generation, methodical, meticulous, super detail-oriented, knows his swing. If he's not feeling it, then then I agree with what you said, that he should pull the trigger now, do whatever he feels he needs to do to get himself right for the, in, within the next couple months because right now he's, he's on the Olympic team, um, but... You know, he's in number two position. Tommy Fleetwood is in front of him in the official world golf rankings. Another Englishman, not too far behind. You're looking at Paul Casey. Now, Terrell Hatton just makes a big jump up in the world ranking. Um, Lee Westwood, quietly working his way up, is now a top 30, top 35 in the world guy. Not out of the question that Lee Westwood could be, could be you know, barking on the heels of, of Justin Rose trying to get on that team. So... I agree. I think that that's that's a really big thing. Hey, I was looking in the milk section for for some for a little bit of something to drink for the aforementioned daughter that I have, and on the side of a milk carton, there was a picture of Dustin Johnson. Have you seen or heard anything about DJ in the last month? Is he still playing golf? Do you know? I think I saw him at the AT and T uh, Pebble Beach, but yeah, he he has been missing in action of late. I don't, you know, it, it, it's it's been a while since he's done anything. Of note, uh, probably about a year since since his last victory, I would say. It's, um, it's been a while. I mean, he's got one top 10, but it was at the Century Tournament of Champions. This, well, two. He tied for 10th at Riviera. Um, so he, I guess technically he has two top 10s this season, but he's been AWOL, and I don't know what to make of it. Um, I don't know if you've heard of anything or if you've heard there's an injury or whatever. Um, his numbers, by and large, are fine, but been a weird season he's one of these guys where like as sort of like Kepka and Rose and some of the people we've been talking about I just assume every week he's going to be in and around contention because he's so good but it's been really odd not to hear anything from DJ so far well he blamed he blamed the knee for some of his struggles towards the second half of last season and uh you know got that worked got that scoped uh, in the off season and was he was able to play in the President's Cup you know, and he says he's he's just about a hundred percent, but I don't know. I think that might still be a factor, and and uh, 
maybe limiting some of his practice as well. But yeah, he has not been, uh, you know, didn't, didn't do anything all that special at, at Pebble, which is usually, uh, you know, his annuity. And, uh, you know, I guess he was, you know, a top 10 at, at Riviera, but, but really has not, uh, didn't feel like a factor. Yeah. In the trophy hunt for, for a while. And it's, it's definitely something to note. He's never really done much at TPC. So I'm not sure I would, uh, you know, be picking him this week if, if they're a fantasy golfer, although my saying that probably means he'll, he'll be, uh, He'll be in the trophy hunt this week. So, for, <laughs> but, uh, for, you know, pe- for people who are in the fantasy golf, who are some of the golfers that you like this week? Who are some of the, the names that you think will be near the top of the leaderboard come Sunday evening? Someone who's playing some great golf at the moment is is Bryson DeChambeau, nearly won it in Mexico, and then you know last week one of the four golfers to to shoot under par for the week at at Bay Hill. So I really like his game at the moment. Uh, you know, he, a lot of a lot of uh, a lot of discussion about him bulking up and, and he talked about, you know, what the reasons for doing that. And he's, he's just been killing it in strokes gain off the tee of late. So whatever, whatever he did, it, it seems to be working. And that's a course that, uh, you know, the TPC sawgrass where, you know, on average, the field hits about 63% of the greens of regulation, but the tournament winner usually hits about 73%. Those are some stats that are, mm. uh, the 15th club was shared, shared with, with our readers and, uh, you know, I think that fits into Bryson DeChambeau's game. And then the other guy, I mean, are you enjoying the Sung J M era? Because I, I think, uh, this guy has just shown the last couple of weeks, how good he is with his ball striking. And, and, uh, I think TPC Sawgrass could be another good week for me plays every week, but you know, of course you wouldn't be skipping, uh, TPC Sawgrass and right. off a win at, at Honda and then playing you know right back in the hunt last week at, at bay hill I, I i'm liking sunk jm I'm, I'm a believer as well I, I think that he is absolutely as steady as they come uh he looks unflappable last week which doesn't mean that he executes every shot and everything goes his way but for the last couple weeks he has looked absolutely fantastic um i i like those those names a lot i think that bryson dechambeau gets overlooked a lot of times when people are thinking about winning big championships by some of the other notable American players. Um, I'm liking two players. Not, I, I talk about the epitome of chalk going here. I, I'm, I'm taking Rory off the table because it's just too easy to sort of say, like, I'm going to go with the number one player in the world. But I am going to go with the number two player, and that would be John Rahm. Um, I think that John Rahm may finally be maturing a little bit, and that is a scary thought, in my opinion, for the rest of the PGA Tour and for the U.S. Ryder Cup team, because the thing that was holding John Rahm back more than anything else was about 10 or 15 minutes at some point over every tournament, he would go loco in the cabeza. And when he did that and just came off the boy, it, it, it just took away from his talent. And from a talent standpoint, John Rahm has very, very few equals. Um, he is as talented a golfer as walks the planet Earth right now. I love him off the tee. He ranks fifth in strokes gain off the tee. He is an underappreciated putter. He ranks fourth in strokes gain putting. That combination of power and really good putting kind of shouldn't be fair. And when Rahm is in full flight and really feeling himself, you can see by the way he walks around a golf course that he loves the game. He loves making birdies. He loves attacking golf courses. And... I don't know that, depending on the weather and especially the wind, if TPC Sawgrass is a golf course where you can really attack, but I think that his almost force of will 
and his stubbornness and his willingness, if he's playing well, I think he absolutely can win on this golf course. The other guy I really like is Justin Thomas, who we haven't been talking a lot about recently. Um, but technically, on the PGA Tour of the season, he does have two wins. The Century Tournament of Champions back in Hawaii a few months ago and the CGA Cup at Nine Bridges. He also won there. He was T3 at Waste Management. He's currently second in FedEx Cup points. There you go, uh, Jay Monahan. I'm mentioning <laughs> FedEx Cup points for you. Um, again, the, the game is so well-rounded and so good, and the composure is there. Um, if he's in a battle on the back nine Sunday at TPC Sawgrass, I do not think that Justin Thomas backs down. I think he thinks that's right where he should be, and I agree with him. Um, he's fantastic. I look at those two guys as being uh, a couple of the guys that people are going to have to go out there and beat. I, I think that they are absolutely contenders. Um, any, any idea what the weather forecast is like? Are we looking at wind like we saw at Bay Hill last week and really turning this golf course into bananas, or does it look like it's going to be fairly good weather and guys are going to maybe have a chance to do a little scoring this week? Yeah, there's some talk that this might be the easiest week of the of the four on the oh, Florida wow. swing. Um, it, yeah, I think milder, you know, 10 to 15 mile per hour is nothing like last week at, at Bay Hill, uh, where it was up in the 25 plus range and swirling, coming different directions and um, really made things, you know, turn some of those long par threes into ba- almost like par fours yeah. for those guys. They were having to hit. You know, 250 and only one person birdied 17 on Saturday at Bay Hill, which is crazy to think. Uh, yeah, I, I like both of those names. Jo- uh, John Rahm, uh, you know, really could have won last year. He he uh, shot himself in the foot, and, and that's the that's the thing. Like you said, can he keep his head together? You know, his, his caddy was trying to talk him out of hitting a uh, a, a risky shot at number 11, the yep. par five, trying to go for it in two from that fairway bunker and. Uh, you know, I, I, that was a uh, one. Of, I think that's the defining moment I, that I can think of of, of John Rahm, and yeah. just you know, he, he hits it in the water there, and and the tournament was really over. And, and yep. you know, if, if he had just if he had probably just laid up there, uh, he might be the champion of that tournament. And uh, I, I love everything about his game, and and it, it, it's just like. Terrell Haddon last week it did it would you wouldn't have thought that he would be the guy who would keep his cool and be patient and under pressure um and he, he had his moments he had a couple blow-ups um uh, you know but overall you know he he was the guy you know the guy the last guy that you would expect to kind of uh be able to manage his emotions on such a tough trying track was able to do so and and you know I think John Ron's improving in that department and I expect him to be you know he definitely has the talent to be a multiple major winner, uh, but I still need to see it, and I'd love to see it this yep. week. That would be that would be quite quite the thing to come back one year later after uh, kind of throwing away the tournament there, because that that could happen very easily at, at TPC. The other thing I think of with Rom is a cup is uh, I think two years prior to that he was in contention his very first year. I wrote this kind of glowing story about um, you know for the New York Times about you know Keith Sabaro saying he was the one of the top five players and he wasn't, you know, hadn't even turned pro yet the first yeah. time he saw him. Yep. And, uh, and then he went out and shot like the day that that was in the paper. I think he went out and shot 81 or 83. It was definitely in the eighties. And, and, uh, you know, he's certainly shown that he is going to be, he is one of those top five players in the world and, and maybe on his way to number one, if he were to win this week, but, um, he's, I still got to see it. And, uh, I, I think it could happen this week. I, re- I think that's not a bad pick. I, I think that, uh, 
one of the most photographed and the, the photograph that went around social media the most um, last year when Adam Hayes, who's John Rahm's caddy, just staring there dead faced after the after he rinses on eleven. Rom sitting there arguing with himself, and Adam didn't even look to his left and look at him. It was just like <laughs> I, I that the the image of him. You didn't even have to have the bubble of above him saying "I told you so," idiot. Um, because the look on it said everything that needed to be said. It was fantastic. Um, you are going to be talking, if I'm not mistaken, are you talking to Sean McManus here today or tomorrow? Which is, for those who may not know, the head guy over at CBS Sports, the new TV rights deal with the PJ Tour, which just announced on Monday. Uh, you going to be talking to some big, big time folks here today? Yeah, Sean McManus, the CBS Sports president. They, uh, you know, just inked a nine-year extension of their deal with the PGA Tour, and so. You know, the bulk of PGA Tour coverage will continue to be on CBS for the foreseeable future. Yep. Um, you know, the, when you do a deal this long, you never it, it takes a while to know whether it's a good one or a bad one. Uh, mm -hmm. I think uh, I think the networks and, and Golf Channel in particular did really well with the 15 year deal that was signed, uh, you know, back in 07, I think it was. Um, so the, the PGA Tour made a decision to get out in front before some of the other. Uh, sports deals come up like NFL so that they could kind of while these networks still were uh, uh, flush with money. I think that was a wise thing. And, Agreed. you know, the reportedly this this new deal uh, initially you kept hearing 50 to 60 percent more. Well, now they're saying 60 to 70 percent more. So, yeah. um, you know, the, the, the rich get richer in the world of golf. And, uh, you know, with with uh, you don't you don't know how many more years of that nine year deal will be watching Tiger. So. Uh, I'd be interested to hear what he has to say about how he feels about the deal. Uh, you know, he's got to be pretty happy, I guess, if he signed it. But um, it's a big increase for the PGA Tour and and uh, a challenge for the ne these networks to figure out how to make that profitable. I'd be curious if I were in that room. Would you do me a favor and ask him how much CBS was looking potentially about getting involved with the streaming rights? Now, the streaming rights to the deal, if I'm not mistaken, are to ESPN+. Plus. Um, so, and this starts again in 2022 is, is when everything kicks in. If I'm not again, mistaken, I've Correct. had these things just coming. So as someone who does not have traditional cable, we stream everything at Casa Dusak, um, through Hulu live for my regular channels, which I love. Um, I subscribe to NBC gold. So NBC sports gold. So I do watch the early round and the pre-broadcast golf on that, and, and I enjoy that. Um, obviously, that's the component that's going to be going over to ESPN Plus primarily. Um, I would be fascinated to know because as you think more and more into the future with a deal of this duration, the viewing habits and how people actually consume content are changing and how much they would have valued getting both the streaming rights as well as the broadcast weekend rights because to me, I mean, ESPN needs to fill up ESPN plus with as much live content and competition as they can. I mean, if you want to watch big 10 or PAC 12 softball games, those are on there. college basketball games, you know, are all over that schedule, every kind of sporting event because they've got to fill the thing with the subscription service. PJ tour golf for them is fantastic. It's a great demographic. It's a great group to advertise against. It makes a lot of sense. Um, it fills up daytime stuff with live coverage. I 100% get it, but why wouldn't CBS want a taste of that? Or was ESPN coming in so aggressively 
or potentially NBC Sports trying to keep it so aggressively that there was just no way that they could do both. That that going in for the the weekend and the broadcast coverage on network would be so costly, it would be prohibitive for them to also get the streaming rights. So do me a solid and find out, or, or do you already know, did they try and get uh, streaming I, as well? I, I'll have to ask. That's a good, really good question. And I think, I think those rights were probably uh, just as valuable to grab as, as having network TV at this point. I really think things are changing so much. And, and, but for the PJ tour, I think it's, it's fantastic for, for them that they were able to get ESPN in the mix. I feel like if you, if you watch closely uh, on ESPN, they, they've been kind of out of the golf space for a while, except for some early round coverage at the masters, masters and a few right. things. And, and golf does not get as much time on sports center and things like that and other programming. And I, I really think that now that they have a relationship again, that will shift. And I think there's still, uh, you know, so many casual sports fans that, that that's where they get their golf information and so i think it's a big a big get for the pga tour to have espn back in the fold all right so that's your homework assignment um where are we going to be able to how can people follow you on social media so they they can check out what you're doing over there at tpc sawgrass this week yeah you know i'll be i'll be out there on social media on twitter at at adam shoe pack and uh instagram at golf shoe pack all right so there you have it everybody shoot thanks very much remember to Throw on that sunscreen. Looks like it's going to be beautiful down there at TPC Sawgrass. I'm jealous. And I'll talk to you soon, pal. Thanks a lot. All right. Always a pleasure. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.